Hello, my name is Aziz Abubakar. I am the host of the Ed Podcast. Also, I am a SDG advocate and ambassador at BIM Africa Initiative. The world is challenged with two crises currently. One is the COVID-19 crisis and the other is the rising tide of climate change. I am as concerned about the COVID-19 pandemic as you are right now. This pandemic will not silence our voices, it rather reminds us what's at stake for our future. We may be apart, but we are also more connected than ever. This inspired me to work on this podcast and I am glad to have you listen to the first edition of the Earth Podcast to mark Earth Day 2020 today, featuring Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal. Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal is the CEO of Human Future. Human Future is a global business and technology education advisory and investment firm. He is the former CIO of the city of Palo Alto and a multiple award-winning technology leader whose 30-year career has spanned both the private and the public sectors. In 2017, he was named one of the top 100 CIOs in the world and in 2016, he was named a top influential CIO in the United States. He is also recognized as a global thought leader on a number of emerging trends, including urban innovation and blockchain technology. In 2013, he was recognized as one of the 25 doers, dreamers, and drivers in government in America. His innovative work in government has also been recognized by the White House. He is an adjunct professor at several universities, including UC Berkeley and the University of San Francisco, and is a popular writer and online host, producing several highly successful online courses with LinkedIn Learning. He co-authored the Apps Challenge Playbook, and is a frequent public speaker on a wide range of technology and business-related topics. He's currently working on his latest book about smart city. It is great to have you on this edition, sir. Basically, this podcast will briefly discuss climate change and discuss the consequences of climate change. I'm going to interview Dr. Jonathan. He's going to discuss the way forward, what changes in lifestyle choices do people need to embrace to combat climate change, the implementation strategies for climate smart solutions. And then I'll conclude by calling everyone, especially global leaders, to take urgent steps to combat climate change through climate commitments and climate action with key takeaways from Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast, Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal. According to our world in data, the world's largest CO2 emitter today is China, accounting for more than one quarter of global emissions. The next in line is USA with 15%, EU28 with 10%, India with 7%, and Russia with 5%. If this continues to increase, we will not be able to stop climate change impacts in the coming decades. Can you discuss how cities in the world can be more sustainable and efficient, that is, achieving a renewable energy feature, zero-waste cities, and more? You know, we're well over 50% of the planet now living in urban centers, and by the middle of the 21st century, that number will be up at about 
you know, a city is at the center of all the action. Um, about 80% of uh, um, gross domestic product generated in cities. They have enormous power in terms of uh, being in, having oversight and leadership in, in cities of millions and millions of people. And cities, unfortunately, also create 70% of the uh, carbon emissions. So if we're going to have uh, any success in reducing the effects of the climate crisis, it's going to happen in cities. So I have a few suggestions uh, that I think any city can adopt and, and is also showing uh, lots of success around the world. You know, the, the, the first thing is, you know, every city can do better at recycling. We, we definitely are creating far too much waste and disposing it in landfills. Um, and so being able to reuse products, you know, metal, reuse paper and other uh, materials, um, you know, reduces our consumption of the planet and, and the, uh, the mechanisms for production. But I think we also just need to reduce waste in general, right? We, we use too much packaging on our materials. And um, so just generally cities can think about don't use as much paper, you know, go more digital, producing as much paper and related waste. Another way is to think about increasing housing density. Now, it turns out that relative to the rural areas, and this will be per capita, cities are actually better um, to the environment. The only problem is they're just big. And so, you know, <laughs> being big, there's a lot of carbon emissions. But what they can do relative to rural areas is they can create density and efficiencies of scale. So, uh, you know, if you have people in high rises and in denser areas, they, they, they consume less green space. Uh, overall, energy can be distributed more efficiently. Talking of green space, cities can uh, and should adopt more green space area, uh, expand their parks. See if there's opportunities to transition streets and roads into pedestrian only and perhaps uh, make make them more green. Uh, there's lots of benefits there. More green space also is better for, for mental health. Um, one of the biggest areas of carbon emissions in cities is uh, transportation. Right? So we need to look at offering more uh, public transport options. Um, and alternative transport like bicycles and scooters and um, more light rail uh, cause a lot of the problems. And, you know, as cities think about their design, it will be uh, really important to focus on how can people not use any form of uh, transport so, so they can walk to retail and entertainment and to their work. How can cities become more uh, walkable. Um, by the way, I, I wanted to give an example of one city in the world, one city state actually, that is encouraging the use of public transport instead of your own car. And that's the country of Luxembourg, where they are now making public transport available for free. So that's a, a great motivation. I think that's an idea that many cities should consider. Um, many cities in their city centers ought to consider um, having uh, no drive areas or make it expensive, so create uh, toll areas. 
you see this in many cities around the world, particularly somewhere like London, where, you know, the closer you get to the central areas, the more expensive it's going to be based on tolls. Uh, tr- cities can plant more trees. You know, there's, there's plenty of opportunity to plant more trees. And finally, about this later, is green buildings. You know, this idea that our buildings can be better for the, uh, you know, they are a significant contributor towards the crisis. Um, you know, the cities we built decades ago are not efficient in terms of heat usage and cooling and how uh, water systems are used and energy in general. So uh, better uh, new buildings and then retrofitting existing buildings to be uh, more green friendly. So there's just a few ideas. Okay, thank you for your insights. According to the World Economic Forum, about 5.7 billion metric tons of plastic waste is generated from human consumption since mass production began about 60 years ago and is now lying around in landfills, rivers and oceans. It is estimated that we may eat 12 billion metric tons by 2050 if the trend of consumption and wastage continues. I think that people need to embrace more sustainable and cleaner lifestyle choices such as using a paper bag instead of a plastic bag or cycling to work in the morning instead of taking a taxi. What changes in lifestyle choices do people need to embrace to combat climate change? Yeah, thanks Aziz. Uh, In fact, some of the you provided would be similar to what I would provide. So I'll just also summarize some of those. Um, I do think if you are trying to get somewhere, you can make choices around the form of transport you take, seeing as transportation is such a major contributor uh, towards the climate crisis. So using public transport where it's available. Um, Sometimes it can be not quite as uh, pleasant. You know, some people like to be in their own car, you know, but the is uh, definitely worth it and and can make a a big difference. if public transport isn't for you, is there is there a to to cycle or to walk? And um, if you have to be in your car, perhaps you can consider buying a hybrid or a 100% electric car, so you're not uh, burning fossil fuels to move your car around. One of the most simplest way, but often again not terribly. Um, exciting to most people uh, in terms of making an effort is is that we can eat less meat, eat less meat. Uh, you know, this is this is the number one recommendation I always make to people when they ask what can they do to make a difference. Unfortunately, as as countries develop and they become more prosperous, we are generally eating more meat. Uh, however, recently there's been a little bit of a uh, as, as people become more enlightened on this topic and uh, not only because of climate change, but also um, the ethical questions of, of how meat is produced and whether we should even be eating meat at, at all. Um, but that is one area because when, when, you, uh, when you explore how meat is raised, uh, you know, it's expensive and it, and it and it's, uh, requires a lot of resources in terms of just land and water, and then there are emissions that are given off by by cattle, um, and um, and so uh, uh, finally, you know, not eating less meat, or excuse me, eating less meat is beneficial to your health. So that can reduce, in the long term, the cost of our healthcare systems. 
Um, people get things like just openings in their home as opposed to using air conditioners um, so they can reduce their, their energy consumption. We've got used to a, a lifestyle where with the convenience of flicking a button, it can get cold or, or get warm, um, whereas you could open the window or put a sweater on and, and you think. But the, the ultimate people can personally impact uh, a more positive, greener future is in their purchasing choices. You know, what, what you buy is how you vote for the things you believe in. So, you know, look at products that are environmentally friendly. Look at products that don't create a lot of waste. Uh, look at products from businesses that have good sustainability practices. Uh, look for products that are local uh, rather than international, where a lot of energy is consumed, a lot of fuels and the carbon is through um, delivering products, uh, you know, all across the planet. So our purchasing choices um, are, are really key here. If we all made better purchasing choices, we could make a difference very quickly. Thank you for that um, detailed answer. As the former Chief Information Officer of the City of Palo Alto, you embarked on a lot of strategic projects, and it's so amazing seeing the cutting-edge work you and your team have done in the city, collect real-time traffic data, sending it into the cloud, and making it available for service providers to consume and innovators to build solutions around. So can you share your experience and case studies on implementation strategies for climate smart solutions? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you uh, for asking. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of being the, uh, as you say, the chief information officer at the city of Palo Alto in California. Uh, it was the birthplace and heart of Silicon Valley. And, and we did some very uh, uh, interesting things that I, I believe were a good model for other cities. And of course, we learned from other cities too. One of the first things we did was we hired a chief sustainability officer. So I would recommend that cities have a, a primary leader who coordinates efforts. So, you know, all cities should have a chief sustainability officer, certainly if they, they can afford it, or maybe somebody could wear a couple of hats. Um, if, if it's too expensive to hire more staff. And so that chief sustainability officer then coordinates efforts across the city. Uh, and here's just a few things we did. We, uh, we know, we, we, first of all, Palo Alto uh, uh, provided its own utilities. So uh, as a city, we were the provider of water, gas, electric, uh, wastewater, and, and even internet access. So we had a lot of control over um, our uh, resources. Um, one of the things we did was uh, embark on a mission to reduce the use of natural gas um, and uh, in, in homes. So if you if you bought a new home, you wouldn't be permitted to actually have gas. And if you were making a upgrade to your house, you'd be encouraged to eliminate it um, or you would get some incentives to um, eliminate in your existing home anyway. Um, as a utilities only purchase renewable energy from the uh, from the grid so um, we would purchase you know power generated by by solar by wind by um, um, wave motion you know by thermal um, and not by any energy um, uh, where possible from uh, fossil fuel um, certainly at the at the um, household level we were at 100 percent only consumption of renewables 
and in the industrial sector, we had reduced it significantly. Uh, we created uh, plans for um, encouraging the purchase of electric vehicles, uh, all electric. And even though the, consum- the use and uh, purchasing of electric vehicles remains still low, uh, Palo Alto had one of the largest uh, per capita utilizations of electric cars. Um, but it still was, was quite a small number. Um, but uh, that will change as, as people begin to uh, cycle out their existing um, cars. The city embarked on a to employ solar possible. So, for example, putting solar panels um, over um, open parking lot, um, also creating incentives for um, our tech companies and other businesses to deploy a solar, to provide also electric uh, vehicle charging stations as a way to also encourage the use of uh, electric vehicles. Um, we provided uh, people with metrics on their energy consumption on their bills. So <clears throat> when you would get your utility bill every month, it would tell you how much energy you used, how, do you, how did you use it, and it would also compare you to your neighbors. So <laughs> that sort of peer pressure can be quite well in encouraging people to, be, to use less um, data center. Now, remember in the world, um, it turns out that data centers are the biggest consumer of power in most developed nations. Um, so all those servers need, uh, all those server rooms need air conditioning, um, and so they are, are big users of energy. Uh, so we had a very aggressive strategy at the city to move uh, all our data center, almost all our data center to the cloud. Um, so we would go, uh, I don't recall the exact number, but certainly down to 10% or less um, of on-premise um, uh, data processing and, and 90% then in, in a cloud provider. Now, certainly, uh, some might argue, well, all we're doing there is displacing the, the carbon um, a footprint. Um, that, that is true. However, when you uh, use a cloud service, the uh, cloud provider is typically uh, positioned in an in a area that has, um, has a, a, you know, um, economies of scale and um, also lower cost um, energy. Um, and hopefully is, is also taking advantage of uh, renewables in terms of powering those large um, uh, farms for, for um, providing cloud services. So that's just a, a few of the things that we did. This is an interesting work. Thank you, Dr. Jonathan. So according to a CDP report, ongoing companies around the world are responsible for 70% of global emissions since 1988. This is incredibly high. If you really want to combat climate change, companies around the world need to change the way they operate. For example, a leading company like Google is investing billions of dollars to match 100% of its electricity use with renewable energy sources to tackle climate change. Google is also investing in AI and other technologies like Google Earth Engine to scale efforts to tackle climate change at a global scale. So now, how can businesses around the world step up their efforts to combat climate change? Yeah, thanks for that question, Aziz. Well, remember that businesses are still made up of people, and the choices of people can can make a difference. Um, so there, there's many, many things that business businesses can do. I, I think just like cities, uh, business should consider a, a chief sustainability officer or, or similar. 
um, it, it, it's useful to have a person who wakes up every day and goes to work and worries about um, you know the, the the carbon footprint of the business and can can um, uh, prioritize issues um, can create you know can have a budget and be able to make things happen so uh, a business ha having a um, a sustainability officer is, is, is a good idea uh, one of the things that all businesses almost all businesses uh, consume is um, is building space and we know that buildings continue to be a major contributor towards uh, carbon emissions and, and, and poor energy use. Um, so what, what every business should uh, start to do, uh, many have already done it, many are underway, but uh, folks that aren't should be thinking about how they can improve the efficiencies of their buildings and make them what's called LEED certified, L-E-E-D, LEED certified, uh, which is really the, the gold standard around the world for making <clears throat> uh, buildings very green and uh, efficient and having less of a of a carbon uh, footprint um you know um, businesses are they're, they're massive consumers of of uh of products and services and they are um, producers uh what they can do is study their supply chains to determine if they are uh, buying products from other environmentally friendly companies if they are buying products that are good for the environment or bad for the environment, you know, they should study um, how much energy is utilized to bring products to market um, and, and really focus on a, on a much more efficient, lightweight uh, supply chain that has, again, uh, less of, a, of an impact on the environment. Um, that's something that all businesses have uh, more control over than they, they probably realize. Uh, businesses should be in the business of recycling. Uh, just like individuals are at home and and overall uh, our city should be better recyclers um, businesses you know those that have large uh, facilities uh, can deploy solar panels you know over their parking lots on top of their buildings um, and that can be a major source of energy um, so that they're not consuming from the grid or consuming fossil fuel based energy and then finally uh, and we're realizing this now in the COVID-19 crisis that we're going through. Um, people don't have to go into an office or a, a building every day. Um, more companies need to embrace uh, telecommuting or telework uh, where people can work from home. I mean, the, the reduction in you know, effects on the climate from people not driving to work, you know, going to an office, consuming energy at the office, driving home, um, you know the, the the savings when a person just works from home is is considerable uh well cost of course but also that huge um impact and and uh, consumption of resources that happens when when millions and millions of people commute in the morning and then commute home uh, and then uh work in in a sizable infrastructure during the day so uh, teleworking would be something that i think more companies um, should embrace and, and, and I think many will embrace now that they've got comfortable with it during this, um, this uh, virus crisis we're in. Thank you. Thank you for your detailed answer, Dr. Jonathan. The last question I have for you is, um, let me just um, kind of give you a brief overview of what the question is all about. So um, imagine technologies ranging from virtual, augmented, and mixed reality. 
artificial intelligence, big data, blockchain to Internet of Things are changing the way we build cities. For instance, a city in China is using an AI called City Brain, developed in collaboration with Alibaba to reduce traffic congestion, crime rates, and other environmental challenges. So what are the use cases of emerging technologies in climate action? Yeah, another another good question. I mean, it's a, it's it, it could be a very big, long answer, but I, I, I think I can just provide perhaps two suggestions um, of the use of emerging technologies in um, in helping with the climate crisis. The first one is um, because we're looking through this, perhaps through the lens of cities, is the adoption of what's called smart grid. Smart grid. So smart grid, it basically is it's a series of different approaches to how we manage assumption um, and uh, the products we use to do that. And then the connectivity uh, with the uh, energy provider or the, um, the utility provider, because this includes um, uh, water consumption as well. Uh, so, for example, a person's home uh, can get connected, um, let's say, most likely over the Internet. Uh, to the uh, utility providers. So when energy is consumed, uh, that that um, information is transmitted back to the utility um, either periodically or in real time. And then information can be sent back to the homeowner about their energy usage. Um, and that sort of uh, that connection, that, that um, immediate connection in terms of uh, you know, uh, supply and demand um, information helps the utility provide more efficient uh, uh, um, deployment of energy, but also encourages the homeowner um, to have, have better use. Uh, here's one example. So if uh, one area of a home was consuming, um, you know, what, what is considered above average or significantly above average energy, and it was, it was narrowed down to perhaps an inefficient dishwasher or, or maybe a, a bad... Uh, oven or microwave, then a suggestion could be made to replace that appliance with a more energy efficient uh, appliance. So smart grid is is a definitely an emerging technology in a city context, uh, getting really amazing results. Um, it's a little expensive, but it's an investment for decades. So you know it can be written off over a long, long time, and the benefits then are are really significant. And they they do go beyond just you know reducing carbon. Uh, the second um, technology that I would uh, think is, is actually a positive contributor is better utilization of cloud uh, technology. Uh, cloud computing has exploded over the last 10 years, continues to grow rapidly. And um, again, as I said earlier in our conversation, uh, data centers in many countries um, it, are, are the largest consumers of energy. And, uh, you know, if every business has its own data center, that, that's, a, that's a significant problem right there. So cloud computing gives, you know, organizations easy access to capabilities, um, you know, wirelessly or wired without having to, uh, you know, have a on-premise um, data center or even have a data center in some location. Uh, rather, they can just use the resources of a, of a major provider, like uh, you said, Google in your question, uh, you know, Google's a, uh, is certainly a significant uh, cloud cloud provider. 
Um, so I think, you know, I think those two are just uh, scratching the surface of, of kind of big things that uh, we can do and where uh, emerging technologies are, are beginning to make a real difference. Thank you very much for your insights. Dr. Jonathan, please, can you share key takeaways from your session with the audience listening to this podcast? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, the, the, the scientific consensus has, um, has convinced us, most of us, that humans are impacting uh, the climate of the planet. And, for example, over the last 100 years, we have uh, increased the average temperature about one degree, and it's quickly moving to one and a half degrees. We also know that, you know, if we uh, increase through our behaviors the, uh, the average temperature of the planet by two degrees or more, uh, things will become unstable. Uh, and, you know, where we have uh, storms, the storms will be worse. Where it's harder, it'll, where it's hot, it'll get hotter. Where it's cool, it'll get cooler. And we'll have uh, rising sea levels um, and flooding and, and uh, we'll have impacts to our agriculture and, um, and people will have to migrate from coastlines. So th this is a existential problem. It'll take some time, but it's underway right now. This is not something that will happen in 100 years. This is happening as we speak gradually. So we do have to make uh, efforts to um, make a difference and each of us can uh you know if you feel hopeless in that you're like i want to make a difference but i don't know how the answer is you can you can make a difference every single day in just what you do in just what you do and just your behaviors um, and in this call uh this podcast today we talked about things like um you know eating less meat you know, that's something you can do straight away. And I'm, I'm not saying don't have any meat at all. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just juice it. And perhaps if you get used to it, you get meat from your diet. Um, you can think about things like when you're traveling somewhere, what form of transportation do you take? Is it necessary to drive when you can walk? Is it necessary to, to drive when you, can, when you can cycle? Is it necessary to get on a plane where you could have a video conference? So think about you know, how you move yourself around. Um, and then finally, I would say as an individual, um, another big area of how you can make a difference every day is in, is in your choices of what products you buy. You know, you have, a, you have a, 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 an ability every single time you go to a store and every time you buy something online, you have an opportunity to make a positive impact by buying products that are um, good quality, sustainable products that use um, sustainable practices um, that are uh, even themselves, uh, you know, they use renewable energy, they don't use toxic products, they uh, treat animals well if, if it's a meat-based product, um, and, 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 and maybe even consider buying locally rather than globally to reduce the, uh, the supply chain uh, distances. So um, you do have the power to make a difference. This is not an, a crisis where you have to wait for leaders or for government or for someone else. This is an opportunity for all of us to make a difference. Um, so you have the power. You have the power every single day to contribute to and reduce um, this climate crisis and, and you know, just make, uh, make the planet better. 
And so I encourage you to, to make those positive decisions uh, in your life um, every day. Okay, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Dr. Jonathan. And no, looking forward to more collaborations. Thank you. Thank you very much, Aziz. Thank you for doing this. all heard from Dr. Jonathan Reichenthal, really we all need to make some lifestyle changes to elevate the achievement of SDG 13 climate action. When it comes to the global goals, no one should be left behind. Everyone needs to step up and contribute what they can to commit themselves and take climate actions towards achieving SDG 13 by 2030. I am urging all global leaders to keep their promise and step up their involvement and efforts towards climate action. Mm-hmm.